Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back, everyone. Final segment of Inside Sources today here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as we continue to march our way through uh, just uh, really fascinating hearings going on, again, much more speaking from the senators than listening to what Judge Amy Coney Barrett has to say in response, because they're really not asking very many questions. It's a lot of pontificating and bloviating, and none of it uh, really adds value in terms of enlightening anyone in terms of the qualifications of Amy Coney Barrett to serve on the United States Supreme Court. And so often we find ourselves getting pulled into that, getting sucked into that space, and it often prevents us from having the right kind of conversations about the real critical issues. And uh, was grateful. One of our uh, one of our texters uh, just popped in uh, during the break, and uh, I love the I love the take uh, because it was it was really all about the fact that social media is divided, uh, but most normal people are not. I agree with that. The problem is a lot of moderate people uh, like this texter have given up on social media because it's so hostile and divided. So in the end, uh, the texter says, we only see the polarization, not the unity, uh, and could not agree with that more. And again, appreciate uh, that text coming in. That's elevating the conversation. That's what that looks like. And I'd uh, love to have all of you join in on our Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line uh, to be part of that. Uh, I want to go quickly to a conversation I had with uh, Joseph Grinney uh, recently uh, about the polarization, about what we should do as we approach Difficult subjects and crucial conversations. Yeah, well, first of all, we need to realize when we're in a crucial conversation, they, there, there are these moments that, that are moments of punctuation in our relationships. And how we show up, how we behave disproportionately affects the future of the relationship, the level of trust and intimacy, whether we have contact with others or not. And so... I think so many people today are terrified about having political conversations because they worry that that crucial conversation will go badly and they lose a relationship or they offend somebody. And whatever disingenuous kind of uh, connection that they had before, even that will be lost. And so I, I think if, if we start recognizing that we have two tasks to do in a conversation like this, what we'll do better. The first is we need to think about how to organize our thought and express our opinion. But the second is we need to make space for the other person. We have both tasks. It's not a conversation. It's a monologue unless we recognize we have those simultaneous responsibilities. 
Uh, that's great and so important that you do you have to create space for both of those things uh, some people kind of go the other extreme and just kind of abdicate everything and that's that becomes a monologue coming from the other side uh, but you've also got to create space in your head and your heart uh, to invite that other person in so they can feel heard as well you do and yeah, we, we found in our research that as long as the other party feels safe They'll allow you a lot of latitude to express even really strong opinions. So those are the two variables you have to manage, the psychological safety of the other person, of the context that you're in, but also the, the way you're expressing yourself. And if you, if you keep your eye on both of those, you, you can be incredibly honest, incredibly direct, incredibly clear about your point of view. And, and still be able to have it lead to a healthy conversation. Yeah. And, and I want to ask you about that because it seems, and again, whether this is in a personal relationship, whether this is purely political conversation, uh, it seems to me that we often get into this mode where we either hunker down and avoid it all, uh, or we kind of swing wildly at whatever's in front of us. <laughs> how, do we, how do we get past those two extremes? I think that's especially challenging in political conversations because, honestly, most of us, and I'm going to include myself here, most of us, our most cherished beliefs are tribal, not thoughtful. We, we really haven't thought through carefully the premises of our thoughts, the evidence that we have. We haven't sought out potentially contradictory evidence. We really kind of assimilate views from the people that we, that we socialize with. And so when we get into a situation with somebody who has polar opposite views, it feels threatening to us. And it need not. If we recognize that that threatening feeling that we have is just an invitation to humility, mm. an invitation to recognize that maybe we haven't arrived at ultimate truth. Maybe we should, shouldn't act so certain about this this idea that we're expressing. If, if we can recognize that signal, that panicky feeling we have inside as an invitation to humility rather than a threat from the other person, we're much more likely to show up with some curiosity and humility, which which generally generates a healthy conversation. Yeah, I love that. The curiosity, I think, is, is sends such a, a great message and, and I think creates space for so many different conversations. Uh, when you talk to someone who's genuinely curious of either what you think or why you think that way or how you got to that conclusion, uh, that's a much different conversation than just uh, you know talking and shouting uh, talking points at each other. Oh, and, it's, and it's so powerful. I mean, if everybody realized how powerful curiosity is in reducing defensiveness and in inviting connection, we'd be practicing it all the time. It's the one virtue that you only have to practice to pass. If you just come into a conversation practicing curiosity, just asking questions, truly inquiring, and it doesn't mean that you're surrendering your point of view. All it means is you're setting it aside for a moment to take on a really fascinating task, and that is exploring the world of the other person. So if you put yourself into a mode of curiosity and ask questions, try to understand the evidence they have or the life experience they have and how it leads them to this conclusion and this position and feeling they've got, first of all, you almost inevitably emerge with a feeling of respect and reverence for the other person, even if you don't, uh, don't agree with them. Mm. You almost inevitably end up saying, I get it. I get it. I can see how your world has integrity in it. And the second thing that tends to happen is the other person almost involuntarily starts to starts to catch the curiosity virus, too. Well, that's my uh, interview with uh, Joseph Grinney uh, just uh, last week. And so many great points in there in terms of how do we communicate with each other? How do we create space for those crucial conversations to happen? And again, this is something that we all have to practice and develop 
Uh, and some of us are, are a little better at it in our work and maybe less uh, less so in our personal lives and our personal relationships. And that's an important thing to, to think through of how do we do that. I love the idea of curiosity, though. Uh, curiosity, I think, is such a powerful tool. And, and I've seen people uh, of immense talent and extraordinary knowledge uh, who are ever learning they're they're never saying oh i knew that already or you know i learned that a long time ago they they take it in they allow the other person to to share information they don't have to say well yeah i knew that last week uh or yeah somebody already told me that or yeah i, I had that experience years ago because uh, it's not about that it's about being curious and then giving people space to have their voice heard listen listen a little better disagree better. That's what we really need to be about. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on KSL Inside Sources today. And as always, as you go out into the world, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something today that'll make a difference. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.